And I reached out to all of my direct competitors and I told them that I wanted to start this business and I asked for advice. And surprisingly, I heard back from quite a few people who were willing to talk to me, wanted to help me. And so I just started gathering information and it was almost like, okay, here's a problem. Like you're at point A, how do we get to point B? That's Gemma Totten. I'm Cara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. I heard all about you because of Lindsay White and Laguna Beach Living and Uh, an article that she did on you. And Amanda on my team saw it and she's like, you have to talk. Like, you have to talk to her. Like, she sounds so cool. So let's tell everyone right away your name, where you are, and what you're up to. Um, So my name is Gemma Totten. I'm currently based in Laguna Beach, and I'm up to many things. But two of the main things that I do right now are marketing and photography. And then I have also started a fine jewelry company called Chapter 6 Jewelry. And I want to jump right into Chapter Mm 6. So... Where did the idea come from and what is it that makes chapter six so special? Yeah, so I graduated university. I had gone to school in Switzerland and studied environmental science. And honestly, it was kind of like this doomsday um, educational experience where you're constantly just hearing of like all the bad things um, that were going to come and all the bad systems that we have in place. And so I became really aware of all the systems of oppression and destruction that were happening around us and kind of made a commitment and a vow to myself not to contribute to those, um, both by forms of personal activism and through the work that I was doing in the world. So when I graduated, that was kind of my only guiding principle of I don't want to contribute to things that are causing harm. Um, But that's way easier said than done because in the world that we're living in, almost everything indirectly impacts someone. Um, And that kind of leads to someone not getting paid fairly or an environmental disaster. So I I just kind of was at this loss of like, how do I want to contribute my skills and my voice and my passion? Um, And I had never really considered becoming an entrepreneur, but I also knew I didn't want to work for anyone else. Um, I really valued play and creativity. And so it kind of all led to me realizing I needed to have my own idea. So I started thinking of what could I do? And I had this idea. um, I I had studied a lot of sustainable fashion. So I was really interested in um, kind of the fashion industry and waste um, and water processing. And I recognized that many companies were actually starting to create the change that I would want to see. And then I realized that I did wear a few pieces of nice fine jewelry. And I kind of had this aha moment where I was like, wow, the jewelry industry is really behind. Um, there are so many systems that need reforming. Um, how can I contribute to this? So then I realized I wanted to work in jewelry. I started recognizing different designs and seeing this common thread that a lot of people wore animals. Um, But none of the jewelry companies were actually talking about how those animals were on the brink of extinction. Uh, So I realized like, wow, we could use design as this way to start a conversation. And every time someone compliments you on the butterfly that you're wearing, you can talk about how butterflies are actually losing their habitat. Um, And there are simple solutions like planting milkweed outside in your garden. And so that was the main idea. And from there, I just said like, what if I brought this into the world and followed it every step of the way until it became a reality? It's been a long journey. I've learned so much through it and starting that company has actually led me to doing the marketing and photography today too. So it's been this beautiful building upon things. Well, and starting a business in general can be really intimidating and challenging. And starting a business in fine jewelry that requires access to resources and uh, high-level skills, like that's a whole other level of intimidation. How did you go from not being a jewelry maker to having this business? So one of my mottos that I used again and again is like, 
anyone who's trying to build a better world should believe in collaboration over competition. Uh, so I had this motto, the answer is always no if you don't ask. And I reached out to all of my direct competitors. So fine jewelry companies that were doing what I wanted to do, had aspects that I wanted to emulate. And I told them that I wanted to start this business and I asked for advice. Um, and surprisingly, I heard back from quite a few people who were willing to talk to me, wanted to help me. Um, and so I just started gathering information and it was almost like, okay, here's a problem. Like you're at point A, how do we get to point B? And I would figure out how to solve it. I would reach out to people and then I would just keep going. And so um, it definitely is still overwhelming there. Mm -hmm. What I learned is I had such high ideals um, and there are systematic reasons why these things don't get changed um, because at every level there is a block, but there are so many people in the world who care and want to make a difference and are working on these issues too. And that's really inspiring, but, you know, I think I was really idealistic and wanted to create an impact and a change right away. Um, and realizing it's just things take years of small reformation and change. I think that's the hardest part for anyone who really is committed to making an impact that it can't just happen overnight, even if we have the answers. Like mm -hmm. I that's something I struggle with a lot of. We know how to solve hunger. Like we right. know how to um stop homelessness. Like we know how to do these things, but knowing doesn't mean that we can snap our fingers. How do you how do you manage that on a day-to-day -day basis, having such high expectations and knowing that you're someone resourceful enough to make the impact? Like, how do you balance being human and that things take time and not losing your mind all at once? <laughs> That's honestly been something I've grappled with my entire life. Um, I've gone through periods of like real frustration and kind of looking at everyone. And um, my favorite word was cognitive dissonance. So it's like, how do they not understand that what they're doing is causing harm, you know? And I was really frustrated. And I think I've just come to this place of understanding that we are all human um, and we all have the capabilities within our days of choosing what we want to focus on. And some people just don't have the time or energy to focus on it. Um, and for me, what inspires me and ignites me is that one idea, one sentence, one design, one photo can spark something in someone that will go out and create ripples of change. Um, and so just that one person can have a huge impact on the world. So trying to inspire and do that for as many people as possible. Um, by continuing to just stay true to my values and put them out into the world, hopefully causing that ripple effect and knowing that like, maybe it doesn't also have to be me, um, that we can all play off of each other's skill sets in this collaborative yeah. world. <laughs> so when you've mentioned so many things that I think are so important, it's knowing that the impact can be small. It's knowing that we have to collaborate and how you've approached this business and how you seem to be approaching just problem solving in life in general. I, it occurs to common sense to me, but I don't think that it is for most people. Like, and I don't know if it's a missing of maybe you and I are crazy enough to believe it's possible. And that's where we're like, of course it can be done. We'll figure it out. Um, but I, I wish other people knew that they had so much more power mm. in how things mm -hmm. go and how things look and especially for themselves. Is that what you were born with? Did you have a pivot moment where you realized it? Like, where does that kind of moxie that you have come from? Yeah. Um, it's funny. <laughs> I think I've definitely always been like this, but there was a moment um, when I was about five years old, when I decided to become a vegetarian. And I, up until that point, my parents had fed me meat and I never really liked it. Um, I kind of was always like repulsed by it, didn't really want it, but they always told me that I had to eat it. And then I had met someone who told me they were vegetarian and I had never heard of the concept. And they explained to me, they don't eat meat for ethical reasons. And I was like, this is what, this is who I am. Like, uh, you know, the second I put together also that it was like a dead animal on my plate, I was like, I want nothing to do with this. So once I heard that term, I was like, that's who I am at my core. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> and I told my parents, like, this is what I'm doing. And 
you know, they were like, okay, you're really young. Um, we don't know anything about this diet. Uh, but if you really want to do it, like we'll educate ourselves alongside of you and we'll like become a vegetarian family basically and help you do it. And so how nice of them, you know, (laughs) my parents are amazing. Um, so that moment was when I realized like, wow, the way everyone says you have to do something, there's actually an alternative and that Mm -hmm. alternative can be exciting. It can make you feel good. It can be whatever you want it to be, but there is another way. Um, so from that moment on in my mind, I was always questioning, like, what do people say you have to do? Do I have to do it that way? Um, or is there another different Mm -hmm. way that I can approach things? Um, so that like small switch. And I think it was really the support of my family telling me like, okay, we don't know, but we will be willing to learn. Um, that showed me that's kind of how we need to approach our problems is really admitting like, okay, we might not have the answers, but there's this open-minded and heartedness of wanting to create a solution that's better for our all parties involved. And mm-hmm. that's honestly what I've seen the hardest in our world as well as people admitting that because our egos get involved, um, or it'll be something really personal to us. And so we want to fight against it and say, we're not causing harm. We're not, you know, contributing to these things instead of saying like, okay, I am, and there's no judgment. And by admitting that I can now become part of the solution. Um, Or just even part of the conversation. Like mm -hmm. it's, I think it's heartbreaking to see people not want to engage in a conversation because they just are so walled off to whatever the topic is. Right. And you know, you you've been around the world, I've been around the world like we know that most people are exactly the same. Right. Yeah. We care about the same <laughs> things, we want the same things, we worry about the same things. It doesn't matter what passport we have. It doesn't matter what we look like. We all have the same kind of core fundamental hopes and fears. And I think just knowing that everything is solvable through talking about it and especially talking about it with other people. You know, I have to coach people regularly about tell people in your life what you're up to. You never know who has the key that you need Mm -hmm. to take the next step. And we're so nervous to tell people we're starting the business we're passionate about. We're so nervous to ask people for help. Um, How has asking people for help changed your life and your trajectory? Oh, yeah. So similar to what you just said, it's like, if they don't know, they can't help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, the, the process of asking has forced me to get out of my comfort zone. And there will always be people that say no, but the one person that says yes is so exciting and gives you that little spark or inspiration to keep going. Um, yeah. yeah. I've just learned that really people want to help. Um, they want to contribute and often they don't know how to, and that extends to like larger global issues as well. Like we all want Mm -hmm. to contribute and make someone's day in life better. We just might not know how our individual skills can be a part of that. And so Mm -hmm. what I've learned in asking for help is asking really specifically for what I want. Um, Like telling someone, Hey, I want you to help me mentor me and give me help with organization. Can you do that? Um, What are kind of like the boundaries that we need to put in place in order to make this work, make it fair to you? How can I give back? Um, And I found that when I'm really specific and honest with what I need, people are so receptive to it. And Mm -hmm. if they don't have time, they don't have time. And that's not something that I need to take on personally, but um, I've definitely worked through a lot of fear around it because it's scary. You don't want them to say no. You don't want them to Mm -hmm. laugh at you. (laughs) So if we look back at eight-year-old you, would she have imagined that you have a jewelry business, that you are a yogi, that you ha- have your own marketing company now? Like, would she have imagined all the things that you're up to? No. And <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of my present day things that I try and be so grateful and appreciative of what I have because I'm so focused on the bigger picture. I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm one third of the way to the like ultimate plan I have laid out in my mind. And looking back really helps me put it into perspective of how much I've already done and how far mm-hmm. I've come and just all the infinite possibilities that unfold in our lives that we could never have imagined years ago. So eight-year-old me would be proud and very happy. Um, and I think something that I've like left in journals for myself over the years is just this reminder to have fun 
Mm-hmm. Like in my high school school yearbook, I wrote this quote, like, you better be having so much fun right now. And <laughs> I just kind of like leave it for myself throughout my mm-hmm. life. And so I am definitely still having so much fun. And that I think is what she would want me to focus on as well. What did eight-year-old you imagine you would be doing for work? Uh, I always wanted to write. It's it's actually mm-hmm. funny. I've always written in journals throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did find a journal entry where I said I wanted to be a boss. Um, and my idea of being a boss was owning a lemonade company and writing and then becoming a lawyer. So those <laughs> were kind of like, but I always had this word like boss edged into my mind. So I definitely have done that. The the Mm -hmm. law part, I'm up in the air. I still see that being a path I may choose to pursue at some point, but it's not in my immediate plans for now. It's on my list always also. And then you're like, okay, well, if I'm really going to do this, I have to prep like two years in advance (laughs) to take the the test. So when am I doing that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think maybe you see it the same way where I feel like, the missing pieces of power that I'm looking for to make the impact and to be a bigger help fall into that law space. Like it's the one area where I can't help at the magnitude that I want to. That's why I'm always like, maybe I should do that because would it give me one extra way to help and make an impact? Mm -hmm. Me too. I don't know if you've heard of Steve Donzinger might be butchering his last name. He is a lawyer who was working in the Amazon and he discovered um, like infractions that Chevron was committing, like just destroying indigenous communities. And he sued Chevron and it led, look him up. It's like crazy, but they basically imprisoned him and like put him in jail for suing them and like bringing up all of the like wrongs that they were doing in the world. And so he's just been like fighting. He got out of jail now and he's just like committed to ending like deforestation in the Amazon and the destruction of indigenous peoples. So he's someone that really inspires me. And I just see how he's using law in the right way. And I guess a limiting belief I've always told myself is like, I want to practice law, but I want to do it for free. Like I want to just take on pro bono cases. And so I have to be like, so financially stable that I can just have this free career. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, that might not always be true. And there are definitely paths that you can take where you get paid and you can help people. So (laughs) we'll see. There's an amazing documentary. Have you ever heard of, um, mountain film festival in Telluride. It's so amazing. It's every Memorial day weekend. I got the to go last year and you basically get a whole series of days to watch all these amazing films about, it started off as like an action sports kind of ski snowboard festival, but it's expanded for environmentalism and social justice and just a lot of really juicy topics. And I saw some of the best films ever. And there's one currently on um, Disney Plus that's about the Amazon that was National Geographic made. I'm actually just going to Google it real quick so I can properly (laughs) say what it is. Um, Because it was was so cool. The territory. Amazing. And what did you say the name of the film festival was? Mountain Film. Yeah, I'm trying to go again this year. And I'm actually... um, hoping that we get to be a sponsor. So we'll, we'll figuring that out, but, um, but the documentary is so cool because they, it's initially like a bunch of Americans that are going and and doing the audio recording, the film recording and directing it. And they were partnering with the indigenous population there to make it. But then because of COVID, they had to give them all the equipment and teach them how to do it themselves. And so it went to this like next layer of telling your own story. And they now have like a podcast and they're now creating content all the time. And it's such a moving story. And it talks about how the land's being destroyed and what people are, aren't doing about it. And it's an 18 year old kid is in charge of this, is the leader of this tribe. Wow. And it's really amazing to see how giving them new technological tools to tell stories, how it's shifting uh, the dialogue, but a great, great movie. Yeah, I've learned that through photography, how powerful an image can be. And, you know, even within images, there's the bias of the photographer because you're snapping your version of reality in this frame that you see and you have in your mind. And so when you give this 
technology and ability to tell the stories over to the people that whose stories need to be told that's where really the impact is and that excites me a lot and is something that I'm looking to move into mm-hmm. in my future as well so can't wait well, to even, watch that oh it's, you're gonna love it you're gonna love yeah. it a, a friend of mine is a three almost four year old and they g- gave her an old iPhone and she runs around and just takes pictures of everybody with it <laughs> And it's so amazing to see what she wants to photograph. And then every once in a while, she takes an amazing photo. Right. You're like, can you send that to me? I need that one. (laughs) That's my new background. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And what good encouragement for her to also see because photography is one of those things I think people tell you, like, you can't make a career in it. Um, You know, it's Mm -hmm. so hard to pursue that. But if you have the passion behind it, it's actually right now we're living in the best time, I think, to be a photographer. Everyone needs content. Everyone needs photos. So um, it's definitely a fun career to have. It's a great career. And I I think one of my secret missions in this lifetime and definitely with, you know, being a business coach is like breaking and permanently removing the starving artist messaging. Like it is such 100%. BS. It's such BS. And there are so many amazing, talented people who don't think it's possible to make the money that they want doing what they love. And it is a lie, a yeah. total lie. What I've witnessed in myself and in other artists around me, it's it's like you have to do the self-work because you have to realize that you're worthy of charging certain rates. And I think a lot of people get stuck in charging like a rate and then they never want to change it for fear of losing mm-hmm. like different clients. But as you grow, expand your skill sets, learn new things, you have to be raising your rates. And it's advice that I give to my friends and then have to give back to myself. Um, yeah. And I've done a lot, but so many people are just out of fear, kind of stay in there. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, people are accepting these rates and yeah, just, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it in the end. Um, yeah. Well, and there's a woman who I was talking to. She's a home organizer. And she's like, my schedule's so full. I have like 40 hours a week. I'm like, if your schedule's full, you're charging too low. Mm-hmm. She's like, what? I'm like, just double your price and see what happens. And then mm-hmm. when you're full again, double it again and see what happens. Like it's, we're so afraid of numbers and... Mm-hmm. You just, you never know what someone's going to say. When I pitch someone and I tell them my price and they say yes automatically, I'm like, damn it, I was too low. (laughs) Right, right. It's true. And yeah, that's something that I've been reminding myself as well. Like recently I was, I don't love being busy. I also think busyness is not a sign of productivity or success in any way. And I have found myself being scattered and overwhelmed. So it's like, okay, how can I restructure this? Because I need free time to be able to do nothing and lay on the beach um, and stare at the water. And that's when I recognize how important the ocean is to my life. And then that inspires me to want to protect it. And then I will get this idea like, oh, let me take photos and write a caption about this and inspire other people and tell them how amazing the ocean is. But all that wouldn't have happened if I didn't give myself the three hours or three days that I needed to really like get to that. So, um, yeah, one of my biggest commitments has been like the higher that I rise, the higher my level of preventative self-care is. So doing things like getting massages, going to acupuncture, working out even when I don't want to or feel like I don't have time. Um, and just really, really taking care of my body so that I'm able to handle the responsibilities that I've taken on and called in. Yeah. I mean, we're, we don't think about the fact that we have to be prepared for what we're manifesting to show up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if we're fully booked, we have no time for the thing that we really want. And if we're not in the right conditioning or mindset or whatever else it is that we need to be able to be a hell's yes to what we've always been asking for. There's so many ways that our subconscious fights against what we really want to be doing and achieving and just being honestly. I I heard a quote that really resonated with me. It was a blessing before it's time is a curse. Uh, And that was something that I've always struggled with impatience, like seeing the bigger picture um, and wanting all my manifestations and dreams to come in quickly in this past year. I've really just been like head down working and recognizing like, wow, I'm not ready for some of the things that I thought I was so ready for. And if it actually came true, I would be in deep over my head, stressed out beyond belief, and I wouldn't enjoy a minute of it. 
and it finally clicked. I was like, oh, that's why it hasn't happened yet. Like I'm really not prepared for it, but I'll get there. Um, and when I do it, I'm going to glide into it and I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. Um, so that's helped me when I feel like I'm not where I want to be. When I feel like so many people put that pressure because of a financial thing, right? Like we're putting pressure to reach the next financial milestone that we have. And it's always, we're always trading our time and well-being for money, it seems. Mm-hmm. How how have you not fed into that system? Or when you catch yourself doing it, how do you get back out of it? Yeah, oof. It's, it's difficult. I really don't consume a lot. And that's been like things that I've deprogrammed for the past like six years. It started with a commitment not to buy anything new. Um, so I didn't buy any new clothes for three years. And then since I've just been like so aware of who I'm buying from, who I'm supporting and what I actually need. But in doing so, I just realized that we you know, we all get to choose what's important for us, but often the things that we think are important have been fed to us by society or by our peers or by social media. Um, And when you strip back and really get to your core values, whatever they are, that doesn't have to be something that is driving this need to always be making more. Um, So yeah, I, I do love like luxury. Like I said, I love massages. I love acupuncture. They're expensive. So I do need to make money to be able to do that for myself, but I, I don't need new clothes every week or going out to restaurants. Like those are things that I don't value. And so I kind of strip away all the things that I really don't need. And I focus on what I do. And when I give them to myself, I really appreciate them. And so I just am always looking at what I'm consuming, why I'm consuming it, seeing where the money that I'm earning goes and how that's like benefiting me in my life. And I think just paying attention to it really helps. Um, But it's hard because we're so busy and some people like do not have the opportunity to do that because they're nine to fives. And so they have to buy the lunch out and they're wasting money. And so then they have to take on the side hustle to pay for all the lunches that they're eating out. And it's this cycle, but yeah, I've really just focused on always being content with what I have and gratitude, focusing mm-hmm. on everything that I have around me and recognizing that I have so much, um, you know, so I don't know if that answered your question, but <laughs> <laughs> it sure does. So, so coming back to your business, obviously, mm-hmm. how can we tell people how fine jewelry can be really detrimental to the environment and how have you made changes to make it better? Yeah. <laughs> So it's a difficult one. Basically, every aspect of fine jewelry is pretty destructive. Um, Gold mining in particular happens all over the world, but in the Amazon and in many countries in Africa is where it's occurring. And it's often just in these desolate places where they mine the earth, destroy everything around it in pursuit of finding gold. And then in that destruction, the waste that they use goes into the waterways, destroys everything downriver. um, And all the people who are part of that mining process get paid absolutely nothing. Um, And then from there, the gold gets sold to someone in the nearby town. Um, They make a little profit from the miners. It's all, it's all run by big companies as well. And then that will get sold probably somewhere in Europe where they'll receive the gold and then the gold will be distributed around the world at the like gold value price. Um, So all the hands before it have not really earned anything while the earth is getting destroyed. And then it's just been going around everywhere. The thing that I, so we use recycled gold Mm -hmm. Um, but basically almost all gold is recycled because it is a precious metal. Um, so that's the one really positive thing about using it as a material is once it's mined, it is not going to go to waste and it will be Mm -hmm. reused and recycled for as long as possible, which is a very long time. Um, and so that's something that that was like a non-negotiable for me, but then Mm -hmm. it's not enough of a step. So Mm -hmm. even though we're reusing recycled gold, I'm proud of that. It's just kind of like a standard and a baseline that I think everyone should have. And most most companies do to an extent incorporate recycled gold 
Um, but the only kind of solution that I've seen is fair mind gold, but there are only like two mines, I think certified fair mind right now. So the gold that's coming out of those mines is like five times higher, mm-hmm. um, than the, any other gold that you're buying. And so you have to prep your consumers like, Hey, the ring that normally costs already $300, it's about to be $800 and the gold is the same, but it has this fair mine certification mm-hmm. and that's really hard to do. And so, and it's hard to get the gold as well. So that's kind of my goal to go towards, but um, I thought it would just be so easy. I was like, why is everyone not using this fair mine gold? Um, and it that's kind of why it's just like, there are all these price barriers um, throughout mm-hmm. the process. So that's one thing that I've learned about gold, but it is cool that Fairmind as a label is starting to work in precious metals and doing that. And of course, there's all these discrepancies in labeling as well. Like, are they really doing what they're saying they're doing? How fair are they paying them? Um, And it's things that like even people in the jewelry industry don't really have answers Mm -hmm. to. Um, My ultimate goal is to be able to go to mines and document it. That was always something that I dreamed of doing when I started the jewelry company and just getting on the ground and taking photos. But it is really dangerous because if you leak information that companies who are making billions of dollars don't want other people to find out, um, it can be scary. Mm -hmm. So that's the gold side of it. And then the diamonds side, I did not want to use any precious stones because I was like, okay, how can I not contribute to mining as much as possible? So we use lab grown diamonds. And I think that technology is absolutely mind blowing. Humans have been trying to recreate a diamond for many, many, many centuries. And we finally have been able to do it. Um, And they're almost indistinguishable. So the diamond industry actually created the machine that can test and tell the difference, but it's this machine that they specifically created so that they could have like a marketing ploy saying that. And it's so small, right? Like it's, yeah. it's like, yeah. I was told, um, I had another jewelry company on recently and they said they use uh, lab grown diamonds as well. And they said that from a, like a molecular structure, mm-hmm. it's 99.99% identical. Yeah. Because it's, they're suppressing carbon and just speeding up the process. So mm-hmm. anything that's happening in the earth, they're doing that in a lab and just making it happen 10 times faster. So it's, I think it's mind blowing, but again, then the job is on the jewelry company to educate the consumer about that choice and why that should be something that they're buying into. But over the past few years, like we launched chapter six in 2020 mm-hmm. and like, I felt like at that time people had heard of lab grown diamonds, but now like a lot of people are choosing them for their engagement rings. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know, they've become a lot less stigmatized because people, the narrative around it was, oh, they're not natural. They're not earth mined. Yeah. They're like lab grown, even though they're anatomically the same. Mm-hmm. So that's been fascinating, but there's one company that I know of in San Francisco called the Diamond Foundry, and they are actually carbon neutral diamond growers, but they don't produce the size of diamonds that were in the designs. So that's why I like, I haven't been able to use them, but that's something that again, like in the future, I would love to work with them. They're kind of like my dream supplier Mm -hmm. to work with. Um, And then, yeah, every, every part of the process is just like, you start to see these little things and why people Mm -hmm. haven't done them. And it's been such a learning process for me, um, but exciting. <laughs> Definitely it, long. It, it is. And, and I think people, no matter what people want to create and sell, whether it is a t-shirt or a piece of fine jewelry, the product creation process is not linear. Mm-hmm. It's just not. We think it's like step one, step two, step three, but you get to step two and you go back to step one and you go to four and you go back to two. And I always draw it as a spiral. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to overlap, like if you, t- the spirograph you could draw as a kid, like that's really what it looks like because you loop back on processes so many times because right. you're going to change your marketing based on what's in the product. And once you change the product, you have to go back and change the marketing and, oh, now the price should change. And we yeah. need to give ourselves so much more patience when we're like, it's, it's, you, we know how hard it is, or we can fathom how hard it is to create a human. Mm-hmm. 
And we never give ourselves that, that much magnitude to create a product or a brand. Oh. And we really should. I love that comparison. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, the hardest part is like, as I mentioned before, really don't consume. So mm-hmm. selling a product to someone has been really hard for me because in the back of my mind, I'm like, but you don't need anything. Like yeah. already, you already have a necklace that your grandma gave you. Like go wear that. Um, And so that's why switching over to marketing for companies has really like, just in my mind, like I've loved doing that so much more than selling a product um, when the product is not quite where I want to be, where I want it to be. But then I also know that it will get there and it takes time. Mm -hmm. And so it's been kind of this like beautiful balance of like, wow, the product that came from all my values and this idea has led me to like impacting all these other companies who are doing good and giving back and contributing to the same industries. So yeah, that's just been my personal thing of like, I'm like, buy it if you really need it, but then keep it forever and pass it down through generations. (laughs) You know, in our marketing, it's hard. And because everything is, my my husband is involved as well. And so everything is like, we're doing the marketing. We did the website. Mm -hmm. We do everything. It's hard to detach ourselves from the process. And so I think, you know, our next step is probably hiring someone and then I'm going to make them do the marketing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and for so many creative heart-led entrepreneurs, the selling part is hard because you're making something not because you are motivated by the money. You're making something because you're motivated by the product and the service and the impact that you're having. But we should be really proud about that. Like we should be screaming from the rooftops, look at what I made and look at why it's better. And yes, of course you should want it because, you know, there's such a gap in so many people want to make positive choices mm-hmm. and they just don't have access or know that these brands exist. And, you know, so we almost have to be screaming louder and and prouder because we're competing against large global brands who aren't making the same choices, but have more marketing spend. And like people are going to buy things. People want beautiful things. Like there's nothing wrong with wanting to surround yourself with amazing things. So let's give people choices that are less negative (laughs) than Mm -hmm. the other ones. Yes. And like, it's like moving people slowly over. Um, I don't know if you follow Re Lauren. No. On, she's amazing. Okay. You will love her. Her all okay. her handles are Re Lauren. Okay. And she's a eco TikToker, I think is like okay. what the term's called. So she's all about um reducing the impact and positive environmental um changes. She's amazing. She's been on this podcast. And when you watch, she does a lot of videos about how to how to, you know, be an environmentalist but still drive a gas car or mm-hmm. still work for a large corporation as your day job or to still love fashion or to this. We feel like it has to be an all or nothing. And we feel like we're a fraud because we have 1% of choices mm-hmm. that are not good. And it's like that the goal isn't perfection. The goal is everyone moving a little bit towards this cause so I think it's, it's, we're, we're so hard on ourselves all the time. So true. That kind of goes back to our conversation about just being open and willing to admit we're part of the problem, but yeah. by doing so we can be part of the change. And no, that's something I used to post a lot about plastic. Like, I hate plastic so much. I want it to disappear um, from the world. And then if I, like my friends would kind of make fun of me. And if I ever touched a plastic, they'd be like, you're a fraud. Like it's not true. And so it was almost like I got scared to post about it because I was like, if I ever mess up, like they're all going to come at me. And like, they were just my friends luckily. But I think when you do post about things that you care about, people do want, like there's a certain percentage of people that want you to not value those things as much as you say you do. And um, it's just knowing like, is your mission bigger than their opinion of you? Mm -hmm. And can you build an audience that's educated that can understand that you're human? Um, yeah, but I've seen that on social media too. The second someone who's been like perfectly influencing or doing something, they mess up and then they're just like out to get them and attack them. And it's such an interesting phenomenon. But when you put yourself out there and your message, it, it more or less is opens you up to 
criticism, which can be good and can be really negative. So. Yeah. And I think, I think it's also a reminder of how are we giving everyone space to be human? Mm-hmm. You know, cancel culture is wide and vicious yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't, it does not need to be right. So um, yeah, I think it's, a, we're in a really interesting space right now of how can we advocate and how can we say what we care about and to your point, not be worried about it coming back to, to bite us. And we just, there's a quote that I saved from literally over 20 years ago when I was in high school. And it was a Vogue article, I think from like Brad Pitt. And he said something like, if you're making decisions out of fear, you're already fucked. <laughs> and Love I have it. kept that in my back pocket, like forever. Cause it's so true. Like if that's why we're making decisions for, we are making the wrong choices guaranteed. <laughs> Thanks, Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, so know, good. Right? He probably doesn't yeah. even remember saying it. Who knows if he did? Yeah. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. I love that. No, it's very true. And it's for me, the work has been like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, yeah. If I like, I, I will post something about plastic on like an Instagram story and my heart will start beating. And I'm like, people are going to think I'm judging them. How do I let them mm-hmm. know that this is just me educating them? And I just want everyone to know. And then I'm like, it's okay. Like just yeah. remove yourself, put your phone down, go outside, go pick up a few pieces of trash, um, <laughs> like focus on what you love. But that that's also something we haven't even touched upon yet. I think so many people doing the heart work are extra sensitive and mm-hmm. I've always been like highly, highly sensitive and often have found it hard to exist in a world that doesn't make space for people who are sensitive or tell you to like grow tougher skin and get over it when, um, that's just not my reaction, but I've really learned to alchemize all my sensitivity and use it to benefit me. But it, it doesn't mean that I'm not scared. It just means that I'm doing it anyways. Yeah. Um, and continuing to move forward and move past everything. I have, I think it's so funny when you don't need to read a book because it gives you the answer on the cover already. <laughs> and there's two books in particular. One is feel the fear and do it anyway, as you just mentioned. <laughs> And then the only way through is through is the other one. I'm like, I'm not going to read those, but thank you for giving me everything I needed on the cover. (laughs) So funny. I'm going to go to a bookstore, just pull stuff out. Like, what can I take away? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I haven't read either of those, but I guess we already know. (laughs) We already know. I have read the Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway book. Uh, It's good. I read it ages ago, but I do think it's like... I don't know who thought that was a good idea from a marketing perspective to like give it all away on the cover. Like, I think I got it. You're like, okay, you're going to tell me to do it anyway. And I probably want to read it. So I know the practical tips how, but I got it. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Love it. When you hear the words powerful and ladies, what do they mean to you? And do their definitions change when they're put next to each other? Ooh. Oh, okay. No, the definition doesn't change, um, probably because I am a lady. So when I think of power, I think of like, like I just see, honestly, my vision when that comes to me is I just see women in a circle, like holding each other and talking to each other and supporting each other. And I see women of all ages, like a new mother and a maiden and a crone and kind of all the archetypes of women. And they're just like holding each other and letting each other know that they're going to make it through and that they got each other's back. And for me, that connection and love is true power. And I think that's um, the gift that women give to the world is being able to rise together in our community. And when we're supporting each other, we know that we're more powerful and spreading our love in that way. Um, So yeah, powerful women are just women leaning on each other, loving on each other, um, cheering each other on. And that also leads to powerful men as well, you know, and we're kind of walking side by side and feeding each other things. So that's what I think about. We also ask everybody on the podcast where you put yourself on the powerful lady scale. If zero is average everyday human and 10 is most powerful human you can imagine, where would you put yourself today and on average? Mm. (laughs) I would say I'm a good seven right now. (laughs) 
feel like probably most people would say that they're like, oh. um, I don't know. I definitely mm, nine. I'm going to go with a nine because I have done, I feel so like sovereign. I know and love myself so deeply and every choice that I make extends from the work and the love that I've poured into myself. So everything that I'm doing moves and creates from that space. And that is really powerful. Um, and I'm aware of that and I've done so much work to cultivate that power, but there is still a lot of room to grow. So <laughs> I think that it's always changing. Mm-hmm. As one woman on the podcast said, she's like, I'm a 10, but we're trying to be a 20. So let's go. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Where where would you rank yourself right now? Oh, good question. Um, you know, it's I just got back from being in Europe for three weeks and I was definitely a 10, 12 when I was hanging out there. Like things were just working. I was in flow and just feeling like I was exactly where I was supposed to be, which is my favorite feeling. Um, and then coming back, it was like really rainy and gloomy. I felt really overwhelmed by my to-do list and had a little bit of that feeling of like, I think I'm just going to run away again because that was a better choice. And I'm like, that's not the adult choice, but good idea. And I had my coaching session with my coach yesterday, which always puts me back in a place. So I think today I'm, I'm feeling probably like a seven today. There's things I need to kind of get back into my routine, get back into the rituals that fill me up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think once I kind of get reset, I'll feel more powerful. For me, being in integrity with what I've committed to myself and what I've committed to my clients and my team members, that gives me a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm not feeling like I've got all of that under control right now. So I'm giving myself the next 24 hours to like buckle down and get organized and move things into the spaces they need to be. And I'll feel more like a 10 tomorrow. I love that. I definitely see it as kind of almost like this battery. Um, I always just ask myself, like, where am I giving my power away? Like to who or to what? And my answer recently has been to my phone. Um, (laughs) That's like, I've been giving a lot of power away to just like scrolling and being on my phone way more than I should be. And it's cool because once I've identified that, I'm like, okay, well, I can take it back easy. Yeah. Like once I know, but I kind of wasn't admitting to myself that I was like misusing this technology that we have in our hands and just scrolling way too much. So it's so easy to be unintentional. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. And, you know, I have to give myself grace a lot because owning a company called Powerful Ladies means that there's no days off. And then I'm like, no, I need a day off. So like, I don't need to be powerful today. <laughs> yes, yes. And that is powerful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I read it. I'm re- the book I'm reading right now, the quote that I'm working on from a, not even like manifesting it, but just asking, like being intentional with it is, is this choice going to lead to a healthier future for myself? Mm. And I like that question because we can ask it about time, about food, about sleep, about, you know, wellness, about our phone. And I was joking with a client um, yesterday. I'm like, I think I need to set a timer for every five minutes to keep asking the question because that's how fast we can make choices that are not good Mm -hmm. for ourselves. 100%. And how quickly we can forget that framework. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) You have a bad day and you're like, I want to eat and drink whatever just makes me feel good right now. And that's never the stuff that makes us feel good tomorrow. Never. (laughs) So true. I've actually discovered that really recently with getting home from photo shoots. I Mm -hmm. am so focused and in the moment and I'll shoot for hours and I'll get home and I'm like puffy and tired and drained. And I just want, this is where the phone scrolling came from. I'm like, I cannot do anything. I need to like lay down, go on my phone completely disconnect for hours, wake up tomorrow and I'll be fine. And I've started telling myself I need this like dewinding protocol. So I get yes. home and I immediately put my legs up the wall. 
I drink a glass of water. Like I have all these things. I'm like, okay, that's what's actually going to make you feel better. Even though it seems for some reason, like just putting my legs up the wall feels like the hardest step I could take. Oh yeah. Like getting my shoes off. I'm like exhausted from, but it's been helping me so much. I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. I like have so much more energy and I can even like schedule more photo shoots into my schedule because I've like figured out how to like really quickly unwind afterwards and give myself what I need. I'm such a big believer in needing like the pre, the before, during and after kind of checklists and guides, because I'd even be curious to know, like, what could you implement during the photo shoot so that you even need less of that list later? Like, but it's so true. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Good question. I try and hydrate. Like, I'm always sipping on water. Yeah. I probably... I get myself in really weird positions, which is why I think I get sore because I'll be like standing on my tiptoes with like a 10 pound camera and buttons on me and then just kind of like holding my shoulders like this. So I don't know. I need to think about that more. (laughs) Taking really deep breaths. I'm like, be right back. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, for everyone who is excited to meet you and wants to support the fine jewelry and wants to maybe hire you for marketing and maybe just wants to hang out with you, where can they find you, follow you and support you? Um, So Instagram is where I keep most up to date and that's at Gemma Totten. And then I do have a website as well. That's just GemmaTotten.com. And then my jewelry company is Chapter 6 Jewelry and it's Chapter6Jewelry.com. And something we didn't even touch upon is like, I do throw a lot of health and wellness events. Um, I do journaling, meditation, yoga. Um, They're my passions. So when I have all the time to give to them properly, that's when I start doing them. Um, I've found that I stop in the winter completely and then start again in spring and summer. So I'll probably start doing events again really, really soon. Um, and I just post all those on Instagram, but I try and upload them to my website as well. I love it. Well, it's been such a pleasure to get to talk to you today and meet you. Thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world and how you're not just prioritizing the impact in others, but also yourself. I think that's such a key message in in this episode of you repeatedly said the things that you do for yourself and the work you've done to allow yourself to make this impact and to create space for other people on the planet and animals. And it's always a relief to me knowing that there are women like you out there who care as much as I do. And if we all do our parts, we will certainly be making the impact that we all crave. Thank you. Mm, Thank you so much. That was beautiful. All the links to connect with Gemma and Chapter 6 are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review. Come join us on Instagram at PowerfulLadies. And if you're looking to connect directly with me, visit caraduffy.com or Kara underscore Duffy on Instagram. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love. Thank you.